right, everybody, talk about it outdoors live in the Wilson studio. I am your host, Alex DeBoard. Over here to my right-hand side, my right-hand man, Nick Wilson's kicking it up and ready to kick it off. We got a good one in store for you tonight. It's an educational episode we're excited to do. We've been planning it for a while, and I think y'all are really going to like it. Pull up a chair and set a while. We're going to kick it. I don't know why I let that music play so long tonight, but I thought it'd be cool. Nick, what is up, man? What's up, buddy? How you doing? Man, I'm I don't glad. even recognize you with that dark tan. I know. Been at the beach for a week. Got down, got me a little of that golden sunshine. It was an amazing trip. Didn't catch that many fish, but had a great time with the family. Always fun to get away. And while I was gone, did you do anything exciting? Not at all. Oh, you didn't go down south, Georgia? I went down there and done some work on some boys hunting club, but... Shout out, shout out to Nick for going down and trading turkey hunting rights for, for all of Bobcat work. If you need four or $5,000 worth of clearing or something done, this man will trade hey, a weekend worth of turkey hunting for you. If so. anything like them West boys, son, you'll do it to you. I got whip marks on my back. I guarantee you. Well, Ter- Terry and Tony's fine folks to be around, and Timbo, I'm sure y'all had a good time in camp. We did. Yeah, actually, some good food. Yeah, and you met some folks that introduced us to a to a story that's right here in Georgia that we may go into a little bit later. That's that's pretty cool. I'd like for anybody that's listening to our show to get into that because I think they would enjoy it a lot. But you know, it's been a while since we've been able to get together and do this. And the gentleman that we've got on the show tonight, someone that I talked to several several months ago about doing it, kind of fell by the wayside, and we got busy with stuff, and he got busy. And but since I talked to him. I've actually put a little something in the ground that came from the great state of Iowa. I would like to introduce to everybody at Talk About It Outdoors, Mr. Jeff Vanderheiden from Iowa and Buck Fever Seed Company. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you. How's everybody doing tonight? Did I say that right or did I screw it up right out of the gate? You got it right. That's awesome. (laughs) Well, uh, Jeff, I know we've been talking about doing a show for a while with you, and it's something that... Nick and I have been on the verge of, I guess, wanting to get more advanced in. In the past, we've just went to Walmart or our local seed supplier and, and, you know, picked up a bag of seed without really understanding. I'll be the first to admit what I'm actually putting in the ground. I'd read what was on there. And for tonight's show and for everybody listening, it's going to be something I feel like will be very informative for what you bring to the table because – Jeff's kind of like my personal food plot guide to success now, I feel like. He'll spend hours on the phone with you if you want to. You got a question about it, you text him, you call him, you hit him up on any of the social media platforms, I guarantee he's going to answer it. He's the kind of guy that I feel like we can build a relationship for the future with, and I'm excited to talk to you tonight, Jeff. So thank you for coming on and being with us. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, no, I'm <clears throat> I'm excited to talk about it, and I, and like you just said, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to uh, – to try to you know speak with anybody that has questions in, in food plotting because that's definitely one thing that um, can be a little overwhelming for some people. I think they kind of get uh, you know get scared by it almost just with all the different things and all you know everybody else's opinions and and different things out there. So um, you know to talk to somebody that's got experience in it and uh, can maybe help you better fit something for your your particular area is uh is well worth it well and i think what your formula for success is is not the guys that are planting 20 30 40 acres of food plots you definitely could implement what your products do into a program that big 
but you're really putting together a package for the guys that are planting those half to one to two or three acre food plots and building a program that they can be successful with. Yeah, that's, that's correct. I mean, that's kind of how I've geared, um, you know, geared the, the company. And, and like you said, not that I couldn't cater to some people that do those larger, um, you know, food, food plots or, or uh, bigger fields, but a lot of times, you know, when you're planting that many acres, it's going to include some some ag type um, stuff anyway. But uh, as far as actual, what I would call food plot seed, um, you're exactly right. I kind of gear towards the people that are planting, you know, maybe four or five acres over a property, but it's it's broke up into a one acre plot over here and a half acre over here, or you know, and a couple quarter acres and and that kind of thing. So it that's kind of how I've geared it with a different products that can work in different scenarios for, for those size type plots. Well, and before we get into it, like I told you earlier, we want to, we want to know the story behind you so people can get an understanding that you're not just a guy that's out here pushing products. You are an outdoorsman. You've been out in the woods and stuff. And so we'll kick right into it. And where did you get your start with hunting? Was it, was it in deer hunting and being from the state of Iowa, I'm sure you've got a lot of stories to tell. Yeah, I sure do. Uh, no, I, I actually, um, to be right honest, started uh, started as a pheasant hunter. Um, my my dad, of course, introduced me to to pheasant hunting. He in, enjoyed uh, um, you know bird hunting and and fishing and stuff like that. And and uh, as a young kid, I actually tagged along on on all the pheasant hunts and really enjoyed it. But uh, kind of as I got a little older, well, <clears throat> when I was fourteen. Um, I bought a used bow off of a friend of mine that suggested that it was something that I would like to do. And, uh, you know, I, I took that to the woods the first year and, uh, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't even have a driver's license yet. And my dad would drive me out to the woods and he would sit in the truck out where he would park and I would walk in and he would sit there while I would sit in the tree stand for three or four hours while I, while I attempted to, uh, to bow hunt. So, um, it was, you know, a pretty cool thing that he was, uh, you know, supportive of, of my, um, you know, introduction into that part of the sport, even though that wasn't something that he was into. And I tell you what, I, you know, like everybody else, probably once you bow hunt a few times, it kind of gets in your blood and, and, and runs from there. That's, so. a, that's right. Well, how, how old were you when you took your first deer with a bow? Um, I, I, I believe my first deer probably wasn't until I was. I think 16 and I shot a, a doe, um, was my first one. And I, you know, I just remember being how ecstatic I was to, to actually shoot a bow, you know, to shoot a deer with a bow at, at that age. And really didn't have anybody to, I would say, you know, mentor me as far as that goes. Like I didn't have anybody that took me to the woods to show me. So, I mean, this is back when <clears throat> I was shooting without sights, <laughs> without a release you know, all those, all those things. And of course the progression has obviously grown from there, but, uh, you know, uh, things have come a long ways, obviously in the whitetail woods. That's, that's right. What are you, are you still an avid bow hunter? Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, definitely. Bow hunting is, is where my passion lies. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I don't honestly, um, very often gun hunt of any, any type. I'm, you know, on occasion I might do a late season muzzle loader, but if I had my choice, I'd take a bow to the woods. Hey, amen to that. I like the, like the drive on it. What, what region do you live in, in the, in Iowa? 
So I live in um, basically the central part of the state. I'm just east of Des Moines. So okay. so right right in the central part of the state. And then I have a, a lease property um, that I would call it in the northern part of southeast Iowa. So when you talk about Iowa and the Mecca for big deer, southeast Iowa is where you're going to see all your uh, all your big name people out there out there hunting and i have a property that's going to be right on the northern side right in a tier county is basically right north of of that that southeast iowa part K- so, kiski country up in there yes yep it is all the <laughs> all those people yeah. freaks i know a lot of those guys are spread over that that southeastern region they call them yeah, the, sh- southeast southeast uh, freaks that live there yeah they sure are there's a bunch of them and uh, you got you know obviously you have people like uh, lee and tiffany and uh the Drury's and all those people have property spread out through that region now so. you, you said you were born and raised in iowa correct jeff yes and how old yes, are you correct. how old am i now 42 yeah. How much have you seen the times change far as maybe just random hunting now to commercialize hunting and uh boy it's it's a lot and i mean there's a lot obviously that's changed um you know iowa of course um has grown over the years in popularity for 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 its hunting and uh you know and known for big bucks and so of course now um, it's much more difficult to get permission on, on farms and that kind of thing. And, and I'm not really necessarily saying that in a bad way because it's obviously good for the industry. But as far as your average Joe knocking on doors and stuff, it's, I'm sure it's a lot more, more difficult, um, you know, to do. But, uh, you know, there's still a lot of good property out there. And, and Iowa is a great state also for its, for its public land. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of public and in Iowa that holds some giant deer. So, you know, there's still options for everyone, but, but things have changed, um, as far as that goes for sure. Um, and you know, it's a lot more, a lot more, um, publicized, I guess, as far as in the industry that people come to Iowa, you know, known for shooting big bucks. I've never hunted Iowa, but you have to be drawn to have an archery tag for, um, is that just for a non-resident or is that for a resident too? Yeah, um, no. Um, so I will say that Iowa is very good about um, being very reasonable for its, uh, you know, for its residents. So we can just go over the counter to, you know, Bass Pro or Fleet Farm or wherever might sell tags, Walmart for that matter, and uh, and get our and get our tags um, for here. But uh, yeah, for out of staters, um, it's a little. I'd love to be able to invite lots of people down to my property, but I would say that uh, the process is a little more difficult. You have to have a certain amount of preference points, and then um, only after you have so many preference points, which I believe it's like about three, and then on your fourth year, I think you're. I don't. I can't say guaranteed, but. Um, pretty much guaranteed i guess to to draw you know a tag and that also is a little dependent on what zone you might be after yeah that zone you're in is a coveted zone it's probably getting closer to four or five now to get a tag there yeah yeah there's some areas that are are pretty popular that southeast and then up in northeast iowa also i'm sure our i'm sure our last guest that we had on jeff would um wouldn't mind their state being more favorable to their residents because he didn't, yeah. he didn't even get a mule deer tag. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. They, uh, oh, they no. so non-residents are getting choice over residents that live there, which is just 
blows my mind. Uh, yeah, that's tough. Everybody's we, in the same bucket together. And that's I mean, crazy. I don't know if you've hunted Georgia, but you know, residents here, and I guess non-residents, we all get twelve deer. Yep. So okay, how many deer you guys get? Um, well, um, so that's it varies a little bit. So each county in the state of Iowa has a a quota of tags for antlerless tags that they um, will sell. So the counties are a little varying because some areas where the deer population is high, there may be like 3,000 doe tags available, you know, for for that county. And then other counties uh, may only have like 500. So it's kind of varying as far as that goes. Now, as far as bucks go, um, me, um, I lease a property, so I'm not a landowner, um, but I can get two buck tags, basically two statewide buck tags plus however many antlers tags I can purchase um, for my county. Gotcha. So. You know something I have noticed about looking at other states and their maps and their counties? Their counties, once you get up, up in the Midwest and stuff like that, their counties get bigger than they do in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're square. Yeah, they're big squares. Ours, you know, yeah. it'll, it'll take four of our counties to make one of you guys' county, one of your counties. <laughs> really? Yeah. So Everything runs north and south. In the Midwest. Yeah. Every oh, yeah. road yeah. runs oh. north. Every road runs well, east. You know, they say, go east this many, uh, go east two miles and turn left, and every mile there may be a road. I, it blows my well, mind when we get to that. That's what that farmer in uh, Illinois where we hunt, will say, he'll say, i seen a good buck on the northeast corner, and I have to get my yeah. phone out and figure out where it's at. You know? <laughs> yeah. where, yeah. where is the yeah. northeast corner? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You spend enough time up there, though, yeah, you, you figure, figure out, out yeah. you're like, all right, that's north, that's south. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, the, and interstates run this way, so you know when you're traveling that way, well, yeah. I've got to go that way to get to the interstate. Yeah. I We're go used to north. saying road names here. Yeah, right. there ain't no right. north south. Yeah. You yeah. might you might go north south east yeah. and west in one or road. by so and so's house. But um, I guess you have to when you're when you're you're broken up into a big farm block like that. You have to describe right. that because right. there's not that many roads. But that's yeah, pretty neat. Yeah. To, pretty neat to see. And the people of Iowa, you know, shout out to them. I have made some amazing friends there over the years. I've spent time since 2013. I've been forcing it up uh, to go up and hunt during the the shotgun season and party hunt with some guys and. We've had some some amazing opportunities at some great deer and, and had some amazing times up there. The people are second to none, in my opinion. I, I, I talk to them all year long. Um, they will call. They come and visit us. We go and visit them. You know, we go to the Iowa State Fair. My dad and uncle have been to it several times, and it's a, it's yeah. a spectacle in itself with all that corn eating that goes on up there. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's just a neat state that you, you don't realize – how good the people are there until you actually spend time with them. Um, I, I've, I've made some of the best friends in the world there that I, I could probably go to if I needed anything in the world uh, at any time, and they would help me out. They've they've become some of my best friends over the last last eight, nine years, and I cannot wait to get back there anytime I'm going. So, I mean, shout out to the people of Iowa for being <clears throat> great. Yeah, well, well, that's awesome, and uh, I hope we're uh, going to continue to to grow our relationship so you'll have more friends in Iowa. Hey, absolutely. This this relationship's just getting started on the seed yeah. of growth. I'm going to say that as a way because I'm going to tell you what. Did Alex just name the episode? The seed of growth. <laughs> the seed of growth. I like it. I like it. Well, I can tell you what. When I first talked to Jeff, we had started the podcast back in November, and you and I probably spoke in January for the first time. Great mutual friend, Matt Jennings, with the game. 
gave me Jeff's yep. number, and I called him, and, and we talked for probably an hour. I was sitting on the porch there about getting – you know, someone involved with our podcast at some point that had the knowledge basis to plant small food plots. Now, not saying somebody that plants big stuff doesn't have that knowledge, but I wanted somebody to be able to cater to our listeners because the people in Georgia were not a big agricultural area in the in the spot of the state we live in. We're in North Georgia, so most people may own 10, 15, 20, you know, people own 40, 50, 100 acres, but most of it is broken into small tracks, and they want to plant those smaller food plots. And I guess that, that kind of leads me into the question, Jeff, of what made you decide to cater more towards that when you first decided to get into the, the seed business? Well, I mean, to be right honest with you, it's because that's how I have, you know, started food plotting basically for myself. I, you know, and also to kind of cater to the people that don't have a bunch of high dollar equipment, uh, you know, can still get in and get these food plots done. You don't have to have, um, you know, a, a $50,000 tractor and, and, uh, you know, planters and all that kind of stuff or grain drills and all that. You can plant these smaller, um, you know, let's call them kill plots or whatever, um, you want to call them to, you know, with, <clears throat> well, you know, some, a lot of guys will actually just do it, um, you know, in a no-till style, maybe with an ATV and a in a a mower, a sprayer, and some kind of a lawn roller or a cultipacker or something, you can do those half-acre plots or those quarter-acre plots or and stuff with that. Or, you know, guys um, with the smaller like um, the smaller tractors or some some of the old uh, you know older even like a Ford eight in or something like that that might be doing a couple acres of plots or something like that. So so I thought. Um, you know, it's just a really good way to kind of, to put some seed blends and stuff together that work well in those scenarios. Yeah. And you definitely, you know, talked to me a lot about what I wanted to do this spring. And I got a little later into the summer than I wanted to when I planted it. So let's, let's take in and go into, I guess, when you started the business up, how, how long has Buck Fever been in business? Uh, we're, we're on the second, second year now, basically. Okay. So still, still a relatively new company. Now you're doing this as a not a full time gig. You're doing it on the side, correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. I'm a, I'm a carpenter by by day and and a food plotter by by evening and weekend. So gotcha. So when you got to, I guess, expanding your business, did it did it take off faster than you expected it to, or has it been you know pretty pretty stale, or is it is it going well for you right now? No, no, it's going really well. Uh, I mean, it's definitely, uh, this, this year especially, um, is exceeding my expectations. Uh, I'm, I'm just really happy with, uh, with how it's done. I, I did really well last year and, in um, with different people that I know and different contacts that I have and just friends in the outdoor industry about getting, um, some seed out to a lot of different regions, um, you know, that people were buying and, and planting in a lot of different regions. And I just got amazing feedback and amazing results from, from all over the U S as far as, as far as Maryland and then, you know, and then places like Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, you know, Alabama, um, you know, all these places. And, um, and of course the Midwest, which is right in my wheelhouse, um, you know, um, 
just people have really good results in, in that. Um, obviously that, that word is spread and, and got out to this year where we're just continuing to grow. So that's awesome. Well, let you got one. Nick? Yeah. I want, I want to ask a question real quick. And, and I know yeah. you, I know you said you want to, you know, you want to provide for the smaller food plot person, but what made you want to start doing food plot seeds from a construction worker? Why, why didn't you want to build deer stands or something like that, um, or, or blinds, <laughs> or something like. I'm just asking because I, I just want to know what yeah. sparked that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, I I had a, a piece of property that I uh, hunted for a lot of years, and I started doing, um, you know, some of these smaller type food plots and stuff on it. And and uh, and I'm gonna be honest, just the just the habitat work and the and the preparation and and all the thought and different you know planning stuff that kind of goes into to you know structuring or building a property up to to hunt especially to cater towards more like a, a bow hunter type style where you're trying to get them in close and stuff like that that part is actually i'm going to call it the chase is uh is as appealing to me as actually sitting in the tree stand and, and harvesting a deer and uh, i just took that passion and and kind of decided that this was the avenue that i wanted to go and i saw saw a little bit of a niche in in the industry as far as as far as kind of catering to that style of of this you know the smaller plots and stuff like that and and because it was something that i was doing and so i just started really digging into it because you, to me, I would be thinking, man, you had to do a lot of digging because you're from a crop rich state, and, yeah. and you, I mean, you got corn and soybeans, and I don't know whatever else is planted around you, and and you had a, yeah, I mean, you were thinking way outside the box on this. It sounds like what I think though with the kill plot scenario that he he you know mentioned earlier, yeah, you got to think end of October, you know, middle of November, most of the corn and beans is is you know, picked out and you've still got drop beans and corn that are, that are out there, but you get into those late seasons. I tell you what, it, it would be a dream of mine to draw a late season muzzleloader tag in Iowa and have a one or two acre kill plot in one of those farm rich environments. Good God at the deer you'd see. It yeah, would be yeah, unbelievable. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You, you would, uh, I could send you some footage that would probably make you fall out of your chair. So. I've seen, and we've seen, you know, in when we're in Iowa, we've seen, you know, 40, 50 deer in, in a field. And most people yeah. think, well, you go to Iowa, you're going to see 40, 50, 60 deer every time you go to the It's just not feasible to believe that. You, I've sat mornings and not seen a deer. I mean, it's just like right. anywhere hunting. That's right. But I feel yeah. like you yeah. get into those late season scenarios, and it's going to happen one day. I'm going to, I'm going to just put in, draw a late season muzzleloader tag and go and because god it would be it would be unreal to see i mean especially if somebody had standing corn they would pile out of that i mean yeah. they go from that timber to that corn whoo lord of mercy it would be bad yeah the uh the combination that you can put together with uh with some of the food plot stuff and then and then I, i'm never going to tell anyone to rule grain um, you know, standing grain out of an equation. Um, I mean, standing beans would be, would be my, my go-to, um, you know, and then in correlation with having a green food source also on the property and you just, you can't hardly beat it. It's just, uh, it's amazing the amount of deer that you'll pull from into an area if there's, it, you know, if everything else around you is harvested. So, well, Jeff, let's go into let's go into the science behind it a little bit, and I, and I don't want to 
I don't want to bore people with it, but I do want you to go into some scenarios, and Nick and I will kind of pitch some different ideas that, that we have for that may cater to more our listeners down here as opposed to the Midwest because, of course, most of the people that listen, they want to hear, you know, what's best for our environment. So sure. first and foremost, you know, we're, we're a different kind of soil in North Georgia. It's very rocky. It's very, you know, dry. It's uh, we get, you know, 30, 45 days in the fall time that we won't get any rain. Um, what if I'm a if I'm a, a landowner and I've got an acre that I want to plant, you've got a, a product that you suggest to plant. Let's let's go into the springtime and let's start there. And let's say you want to wanted to plant a spring food plot for for wildlife. It doesn't necessarily have to be deer. But what is your suggestion right. to plant in the spring of the products that you offer? I would actually have a couple options for you in the springtime. Um, one being a, a clover blend. Um, and I have two different varieties that, you know, two different mixes, I'm going to say, of, of clover that would be both very good options. Um, but, you know, before we even do that, a lot of the first question that I like to ask a lot of people is what what is your like long term goal for that particular food plot? Because um, you know, if we're going to dive into like clover and stuff like that, um, you know, if people want to maintain a clover plot, um, as a, as an actual plot, you know, a food plot on the property, then the scenario would be just a little bit different because you can plant certain kinds of clover or a different one of my mixes of clover. That would be something that's going to lead into like a long-term plot that, I mean, you can get six years or so out of a, a well-maintained clover plot or i have some faster growing varieties of clover that would work good for i'm going to call it more like almost like a plow down so something that you could plant in the spring early you could get to grow that will kind of cover the ground also going to generate um, really good green matter and build nitrogen up in your soil that would lead well to planting a fall type plot like a brassica mix or or a uh, more of a I'm going to call it like a buffet type fall planted mix that has some, some winter rye or some cereal grains and stuff in it. Um, you know, in that type of mix. So a couple options. And then the other one that I have is, is a mix that I put together that I call nature's roof. And the reason I call it that is because the buckwheat in it, it's a blend of buckwheat and annual clover and the buckwheat in it grows really fast. Um, it helps shade out basically um, your weed competition to as you know as best it can. Um, that's always difficult in the spring. Everybody fights weeds because they're trying to grow as well, and the buckwheat will kind of help choke and shade those out. And then also, again, it adds really great um, you know green matter to your soil and also builds nitrogen in that soil, which you want for your fall planting. So to go in and put a brassica mix to follow that up for your fall planning, um, you know, for, for your hunt plot. So you're kind of a head start in, you know, your fertilizer and stuff. Cause you're, you're building that soil or prepping that soil for, um, you know, for planting something like a brassica mix that's going to want the nitrogen and stuff in the soil. Now let's, let's stay on the spring and let's say, let's just, let's base everything we do off an acre. That'll be the easiest way for us to do it. So, Got an acre plot, sure. and you, you wanted you you've spoken to somebody. 
such as myself, and I say, Jeff, I want to plan a, a spring plot, and I want it to be as optimal as I can be. We decide we're going to do a nature's roof, as you and I decided to do. So yep. what is the best-case scenario to plant that plot? Now, I myself had went in and, and cut it and done some spraying on the plot, and mm-hmm. it's 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 very rocky. It's a very it's a spot that was cleared out with a bulldozer when uh, some logging was done ten years ago, and through the years I've ripped it with a spring tooth, picked up what rocks I can out of it. And of course, Georgia grows rocks. Nick's looking at me right now because he's like, I, I'll pick up four or five <laughs> he rocks. Might, he might have kicked one or two out on the way by <laughs> spreading seed. But I've been plowing that plot for I don't know how many years. I mean, it's been so. If when you're prepping the site, do you suggest someone to go in there and spray it or till it or rip it up with a spring tooth or disc it or what is what is the best case scenario? And I guess it's all going to depend on what you have. But let's say you have an, uh, a bound of, of implements you could use. What's the best implement to use for that for that type of planting? Right. So um, the the best the best way to do, especially I'm going to say a new let's say a new plot, like um, to start a new plot. The best is going to be whatever vegetation that you might have growing in there, if it is grass or whatever weed stuff that you have growing in there the best to start it would be to mow that down and obviously spray it with with your your roundup or your 41 percent glyphosate to to kill everything off let that vegetation die and then to actually somehow scuff the soil i don't care if you you know, if people only have like a spring tooth harrow, like you said, or they might have even a drag that they can drag around, but you want to try to remove as much of that dead vegetation. If it was thick, especially that thatch off of the, off of the plot so that your seed can get good seed to soil contact. Um, that's, that's very important for, for starting, you know, a, a new plot is getting, <clears throat> getting that seed into the soil. There are no-till methods obviously available you know that you can do where you just would seed over top of that but you really have to catch the rains timely um for that because you're going to need hard rain to push that seed into the soil um and and even at that some some heavy thatch still makes it tough sometimes so anything you can do to remove that or um i think like yourself you went in there with a tiller and till that soil up um that's a great way to do it also so all right so we go into the the prep work for spring we've got that done uh-huh. we've got a new plot found founded we've got that started what is the maintenance that goes into it from spring to summer well so that's varying on what you plant that nature's roof um if you're going to put that in the ground with the buckwheat and the annual clover you honestly can just plant that and I hate to say the word walk away from it because you do want to keep an eye on it just to make sure it's not getting run over with weeds or something strange like that but um, there's essentially not much maintenance that you need to do to that particular seed blend you shouldn't mow it you shouldn't uh, it honestly generates its own fertilizer unless your soil is horrible horrible um the buckwheat itself is pretty much its own fertilizer so um so that's why um you know it's it's a a great 
you know, quote unquote cover crop to use or, or that kind of a crop to use for a soil building because it, it is um, like basically generating its own fertilizer. Um, a clover plot would require a bit more maintenance. So you would seed that. Um, you would definitely want to fertilize it um, right at first. And then you would also want to keep regular eye on it and you would have to mow it. Um, if clover is very, I'm going to say it's slower growing, it puts roots down first. So it doesn't germinate as quickly out of the ground. You may see little coming out of the ground, but it's quite a bit slower growing. And so unfortunately with clover, you fight weed growth. Um, a lot worse, especially in your first year clover plot. So if it's your brand new clover plot that you're trying to start, I'm going to just say right now, don't expect your first year, especially the first part of the year for that thing to look like a blanket of clover, like you might've seen some pictures of people posting because it, it's not going to be right out of the gate. It's just, right. it take it takes a lot of time to put the roots down. And then once it starts going, you will want to mow that actually somewhat regularly. The mowing stimulates new growth um, and it also helps keep your weeds down. So you don't want the grass or whatever's trying to compete with the clover to choke the clover out. You want to try to let the clover stay ahead of, of the weeds that are trying to come in it. And then you're going to want to probably fertilize it again later on in the first year um, with with a, a different kind of fertilizer, something that that is more um, based for clover, so like a 624-24, something that doesn't have as much nitrogen in it um, because you don't want to promote the weed growth. You want to just, uh, you know, promote the clover growth. So, And then there are some sprays or some different chemicals that you can use later on at, towards the end of the first year. After your clover gets up to a certain height, you don't want to do it on brand new clover because it stresses it out especially if you're in an area where it may get dry um you want to be a little mindful of of how hard you are on your on your first year clover plot but there are some chemicals you can use um i sell um a, a clover cure which is a, a clethodin um that actually will just remove the grass from your clover plot and not kill your clover um so it kind of helps that out on especially a first year and then by the second year of a clover plot, the clover will actually start to start choking out everything else in, in the plot. Um, and, and you'll have a lot easier time maintaining it. You'll still want to mow it, um, on occasion through a summer, you'll still probably want to fertilize it like once over the period of, of a summer, but, it's not as difficult or doesn't require as much maintenance, but still does require some maintenance to keep. But clover is very beneficial to what I would call like a, a management type plan to have on, on a property. Um, there's, there's so many, you know, different benefits to having it. All right. So I've planted the spring plot, not much maintenance mm-hmm. with the nature's roof going into the summertime. Now I want to kind of segue into the long term because this is, uh, and you've, probably already told me this but if i am planning to plant a fall plot now right what is my best course of action i planted the nature's roof i've had it for the summer what is my first step in there before we go into the actual seed blend that you suggest 
what's the first step? Do I go back and replow that again, or do I just mow it and overseed? No. So the, so the best part about that nature's roof is that you would actually take your mix that you're planning for your fall hunting. You would you would seed that into right into your standing nature's roof basically and then what you would do is you would either take something to roll over or you can mow um, mow it or roll it over to basically knock it all down the buckwheat all down and then you could um, if you mow it you're going to terminate the buckwheat so that's one way of doing it the other way is to knock it all down with like a cultipacker some people use a crimper which is another piece of equipment that you can use that actually breaks the buckwheat and lays it down flat um, you can do that and then you would maybe want to spray it, um, immediately basically with, again, um, a shot of, of, you know, 41% gly to, um, terminate the buckwheat and then allow the new seed to germinate and grow. Okay. So that's, that's interesting. Cause I would think, you know, you would need to go in replow or reteal that entire surface that would be the thought process it would be for me to get rid of anything that's there but i guess with the well it would it be annual clover that's there that's annual it's an annual right yes it is it is it's an annual clover so it it honestly um if if you just mow let's say if you just mow your your buckwheat down you, you'll probably actually just clip the top of some of, of the clover and then therefore you actually will still have some clover, but the buckwheat is going to be prevalent in that mix anyway, because of its rapid growth rate and how high there's still clover in there. Like if you part your buckwheat apart when, after it gets tall, um, you'll see some clover growing in there with it. And clover again, just is, is beneficial one because the deer do look it during, during the summertime. Um, or any wildlife, uh, for that matter, turkeys as well, since we have a turkey lover on the phone. But, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's very beneficial that way, but it also could stay, some of it could stay in the plot, which, of course, is, is not a bad thing to have either. So, Okay, so you got something new? <laughs> I was just going to tell him, my yard, my yard, you could put it in a magazine. It's got so much yeah. clover in it. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I cannot, I plant, I planted it and I thought, I'm just going to put some ground cover down. And now it's taken my whole yard over after two years. And I mean, it's beautiful, but I had to cut it like every four or five days. Right. Easy. Yeah. You ain't, I, I waited in that last week shooting my bow. You it's been raining a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you wasn't mowing that every four or five days. Uh, uh, busy podcasting too. <laughs> so, you know, all right. So. Let's take this scenario. Uh-huh. We've got the buckwheat planted. We've run it all summer. And I go in with a, just, I guess, just a, a bush hog, um, just a yep. regular old field bush hog that I've got. I mow it down. Cause, and I'm, I'm trying to play into scenarios that I know most of the people that are listening that are going to do. I mean, they're going to look yep. for, for those options. So we take and we go in and we, we mow it and – is it okay to not spray or is it really necessary to go in there and spray something? No. Um, if you mow it, um, that, that will be sufficient because you'll actually, you'll actually terminate the buckwheat. And even if a little bit of it stays, I've, I've done it before, um, where I've mowed it down and you might get a few new shoots 
piece of buckwheat that comes up, um, you know, or whatever, but the deer like the buckwheat in the early stages. And then, um, in correlation with that, the first buckwheat's uh, kind of a fragile plant, um, as far as that goes. So like the first frost, it will actually terminate all the rest of your buckwheat. So we're in some plants are, are a lot more hardy when it comes to that and will stay green even after a few frosts buckwheat's pretty much done after it runs that that first frost cycle so um it doesn't hurt anything at all and then of course still those those uh that the dead plant matter um actually holds moisture in your soil which will um and provide like i said it builds nitrogen in your soil and will actually um you know help your fall planted plot grow um a little better instead of working that particular dirt again and getting to bare soil where you run the risk of <clears throat> of maybe not great germination if you happen to hit a dry spell or something like that or may require you a lot more work um, to try to, um, you know, to get a fall plot going. So, What month do you suggest starting your fall plots? Let's say for the south, when would you, when would you decide to, to do your fall uh, plot? In, in your area, I would not look to doing it until closer to that first of the very very end of august or first part of september so we'll most say, people's labor day weekend around yeah, here yeah 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 labor day weekend is a is a great kind of a tape you know tape line for that for for getting those fall plots in, and they really down in that area and they probably don't start hitting those until what like like early november maybe. yeah um they'll they'll hit some greens you know the the green leafy part of like Nebraska mix and stuff, they'll hit those a little bit in October. Um, but really when it becomes uh, more beneficial is when like all your other vegetation starts to, you know, kind of die off and, and then mm-hmm. yeah, the acorns are gone. Yeah, for sure. Um, when that stuff is kind of gone, then, then of course those plots become really desirable. One thing that I've, I, I'm as guilty as anybody around here of doing is, I'll spend the time in in the summer to plant a plot, and, you know, we plant it Labor Day, and then I'm looking to hunt those same areas because I, like a lot of people, I don't have, you know, just a bunch of areas to hunt. So I'm going to spend time in that same area where that food plot is, and it can almost get discouraging at times when you're trying to hunt that plot during bow season because you're not going to see deer in it if you're trying to sit on the side of that plot because – Hell, they can get up out of the bed and eat acorns and go right back to sleep because we've got so many white oaks and pin oaks and you yeah. know, that are here. But I'm going to do my best this year to put the time in in early season to get those those food plots planted for those November hunting times or around Thanksgiving when the rut's heavy and the does are out looking for more food and things like that. I think that's I think that's something that we all need to focus better on you know with the food plots i know that's i know that's the goal you want to draw your dose to those food plots so those bucks are coming to them and checking them i know that's the the theory behind it but man it sure right. is nice to sit there in in september and look over a beautiful green plot and hunt it, it just <laughs> it's so hard not to want to hunt those areas because they are so pretty yeah yeah it's a, it's a bit different uh i mean it is a little bit different scenario in in the places um, like in your area where you do have like a mass crop of, of, uh, you know, of acorns and stuff like that is just a little bit different. And here in the Midwest, um, you know, or here in Iowa by me, we key in on, on when those beans turn, um, you know, that, 
that when the beans start to turn yellow and the leaves start to fall off, um, that's the time when, when the deer kind of switch, um, you know, off of, cause in the summertime, they really do like the foliage that like, uh, um, you know, soybeans provide, it also provides cover for them because the soybeans get so, so tall anymore also, but, uh, you know, it kind of doubles as cover, um, for them. But once all the leaves start to, to fall off and, and that they, uh, you know, will switch from over from that to, to, you know, hitting the, the brassica plots and, and stuff like that. So it works really well, um, you know, to have, a couple different options for them. I, I really like to key in on um, a clover plot for like me here in in uh, in my area. Um, what I would call early season, or like the first of October, um, in that time period, um, I just have such good luck and such good results over over a good solid stand of clover. Um, the deer traffic is daily on on it during that time period it, it's really quite impressive I, I think it gets overlooked a little bit as a you know as a really viable food source for them during during that time period so we we've moved from the summer to the fall and we've mm-hmm. we've mowed it and we've got it for our area what is the suggestion that you would make for a blend or or whatever it may be to to plant to be successful and having a good stand come November after the first frost has hit. Cause sometimes we here in our area, we may not get a frost until the first second week of November. Sometimes. I mean, we might get early frost in October, but it really hits those, those first, I, I would say around the first, second week of November. I mean, a hard frost anyway. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I really like, um, the results that have come from uh, a mix that I have called the Blueprint Blend, which is my brassica um, mix. It's got four different, um, you know, varieties of, of brassica in it. So purple top turnip, um, some tillage radish, and then a couple uh, varieties of, of like a hybrid um, rape and a forage type turnip. And it just does really well because it provides you with that green source that you're talking about during that earlier part of the season and then carrying into the later part of the season, you have the actual bulbs, um, the turnips that become desirable, um, for, for the deer during that time frame. I've had just fantastic results all over, um, like I said, all over the country with, with that style of, of mix. So it's just, does really well uh i mean a a fall blend um more of a buffet type style that has the cereal grains and stuff in it if you have um some different areas where people can plant a little bit of diversity in two or three different plots or things like that um it always is, is also good to have um some kind of grain if you don't have beans or corn um a mix with like a cereal grain so i have one called punch list that has uh, winter rye and, um, and some, some different, it does have a hybrid brassica in it. And then, um, also some crimson clover. Um, that's a great mix as well, um, to plant for fall. And then I have another one that I call tin ring, which is, um, actually a buffet type mix that has 10 varieties of different things in it. Some cereal grains, some winter peas, um, and then a couple of varieties of clover and, and again, some, some rape seed and some hybrid turnip um, stuff in it as well. 
All right. Well, let's go now. We've we've hunted over it. We've had a great success. Killed a one thirty right off the top of it. You know, Mr. that wasn't a one thirty. Well, he's a one eighteen. You know, we're gonna call him. We're gonna call him a one thirty. He looked bigger out there. He looked big right. on trail cam, but yeah. we've killed us a good buck off of it. We've had a great season. You know, hunting over that plot, and it goes into the to the off season. All right, we're looking into you know. Is there anything I need to be looking to do in January, February, March, or do you just look for the spring for to restart your maintenance program? Yeah, and um, really, you're just looking to to restart in the spring, and, and in your area, you could go probably obviously earlier um, than we could here. Um, you know, we kind of ramp back up here about uh, March ish with people actually doing. Um, like frost heating of clover, which is, um, and frost heating in the industry is kind of a generalized term, um, because obviously there's some places that you don't have a ton of frost or, or that, but that early, early spring clover seeding, what you're trying to do is catch in our area, a freeze thaw cycle to work that seed into the soil, um, or, in the south, you're trying to catch some of that rainy time of the year where you are guaranteed to get some spring rains to help work that seed into the soil and give it a jump start. Clover does not mind some colder temperatures. It'll germinate at a lot cooler temperature than some different seeds do. Um, and so you can actually kind of get a jump start on a clover plot that way to lead into the next year. Now, a mix like your nature's roof, if you were to choose to do that mix again the following year, you need to wait till your soil temp- temperatures come up to that about 60 degree soil temperature range before you're putting that back into the soil, you know, into the ground again. But you could go back with a clover blend that you have, a quick start clover, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. to, to start getting, I guess, your fall and, or excuse me, your spring and summer plot ramped back up again. Yeah, absolutely. And, and some of the, some of the mixes, like uh, one I mentioned a minute ago, like Punchless, has that crimson clover in it. So um, that that mix does really well if you are looking ahead from this fall to next spring in an area that you may want to get some clover in. That crimson clover will grow quickly, also, and and does like to sit. Actually, the next you'll get some growth in the fall. Um, but what will really happen is the following spring, that clover will come really quick and actually give you that jump start that you need and, and kind of works perfectly into leading into overseeding um, or spring planting a different clover variety into the crimson because crimson is a shorter lived. Um, you can only get like a year or so, maybe two years of that best out of like a crimson clover, but it, it's fast growing. It also does still generate a lot of nitrogen in soil matter so it's a great one for that but then it it works really well out of a mix that you planted in the fall to lead into um, a clover mix going the following year so you would seed in something like the foundations trio or a quick start clover or something like that to continue that plot as a clover plot so do you and i I keep going back to this because my mind can't wrap around it i've seen i've seen what they call i guess frost seeding or Mm -hmm. Something like that. Is that something that, that you try to do or? or... Yeah, I, again, that frost seeding, um, like I said, is, is really, you know, that term is used, like I said, very widely in the industry. Right. But but really what you're wanting to do is just catch that, 
catch that spring moisture. That's what you're looking for yeah, because yeah. that, um, you know, brand new clover, um, just doesn't tolerate drought as well. Now an established clover plot, um, will actually be somewhat tolerant of, of drought, um, because it does, it is deep rooted and it's essentially almost like your yard, um, you know, or what it, well, if your yard's clover, I guess, then it is your yard, but, uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's like grass in your yard where if you go through a really dry spell, your yard looks kind of brown and yuck or whatever. Well, it's just gone dormant. But then all of a sudden you get a bunch of rain and now your grass is green again, right? Well, clover is kind of the same way. An established clover plot is the same way. It'll actually kind of go dormant and don't look very good. But then you start getting proper moisture again in a little cooler temps and, and boom, it's bright green and, and popping again. I mean, um it's it's really kind of interesting. We we just went through a really dry spell um, here in Iowa um, for basically the first first part of uh, of June um, through through part of June. There now we're we're making up um, for it here the last week or so by getting some rain. Although we still I think are a little bit dry for the year, but uh, we went through a really dry spell, and I could just tell like in my personal plot where it's kind of getting brown. The clover is a little bit, doesn't look super great. The leaves are kind of droopy looking. Um, it's still good. Uh, you know, like get I said, your water now we've pail got... out, Jeff, get your water pail, get out there and get the water. <laughs> yeah, right. No, I mean, we, we took a few shots of rain here, um, recently within the past week and a half or so. And, and now it's just as green as can be and the leaves are all perky and, and right, right back looking good again. So like I said, it's, it's, but it's the new planted clover that is a little bit susceptible to, um, you know, drought or a real, a real, real dry time where it will kind of burn. So um, that's the only tough part about it. But that's what that frost eating, you're trying to catch that spring moisture to get that clover to establish. And, um, you know, it kind of give you a jump start on, on the season. Well, I know I, and anyone who hasn't seen it already, you can go over to our YouTube channel and check out the planning that I did. Um, it was actually Tuesday would be two weeks um, ago. And I went on vacation for a week and came back and Sunday I went over and I posted some pictures on our social media of how fast the germination was of that buckwheat coming up. And of course I sent you pictures of it and I'm like, we in the gold now we're getting there. Yeah. And you know, it was exciting to see because yeah, I mean, a lot of times, and, and it's 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 bad to say, but you buy these commercialized feed uh, seed products, and I'm not going to mention any names out there of, of whatever it may be, uh, but these mixes you buy at Walmart or whatever it is, and, and they forget to look at the seed tag. And that's something that I've you know noticed over the years, reading that tag and actually seeing what's in there. And a lot of these mixes that you buy at the store, they'll be – 90% ryegrass. That's right. And yeah. hell, ryegrass will grow on concrete. I mean, it'll grow anywhere. Right. And but they, and they see this growth, and it's immediate. Boom. They get that instant gratification that they've seen. Oh, man, I've got something coming up. Well, then it doesn't grow, and then they get a few sprigs, and then it's weeds again almost yeah. immediately. You know why that is, Alex? Because the listeners not listening to talk about it outdoors podcast <laughs> with Jeff, a buck fever seed company. That's Wait, right. Get them plugs in. I love it. I love yeah, it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, no, you're you're right on. Uh, you know the looking at those seed tags or looking at the mixes. Um, you want to look for for you know uh, high purity um, seed. So make sure you're finding seed. Um, you know that is very high in 
and all in the, its purity and all the stuff um, that Buck Fever offers is going to be um, the highest, you know, purity seed that you can get, and also the highest germination rates that you can get um, with no filler stuff in it. You won't find any ryegrass in in anything, um, you know, that I <clears throat> that I sell, and uh, you know, I kind of pride myself in, in that and, and selling quality. Where uh, I think I told you when I sent the seed out your way after, um, you know, after we decided on on what you were going to do. I said, the seed will grow. It's just a matter of, of, uh, you know, what happens on the other end. Of course, mother nature plays a large role in that, but, uh, you know, the, the confidence in the seed that people are purchasing, um, should be, you know, very high. It, it's, it's going to be, it's going to germinate. It's going to grow. It's just, uh, you know, whether or not, obviously soil conditions do play a part in that somewhat. I'll never rule that out. And then of course, obviously it's still going to take water. There's no, no nobody's come up with a, uh, a drought resistant seed yet. There's nothing that you can store water in a seed for it to germinate and grow. You still, you still got to have a little, uh, a little rain from the sky. So, well, and that's one thing that, that, you know, I made clear when I, I did the video that I dropped on YouTube. I didn't get anything given to me by Jeff. I, you know, I, I purchased the seed from Jeff, and I told him when I spoke to him on the phone, I want to buy your product, and I want to try your product. And if the product works, we will be more than happy to back it. And I'm telling you right now, from what I've seen thus far, Talk About It Outdoors is all about Buck Fever Seed Company and doing anything we can to help promote it because it works. And everything Jeff has told me from the get-go has been the truth. He worked with me, I mean, several times on the phone, texting him, aggravating the fire out of him, I'm sure, (laughs) and talking to him about it. And he'll do it for anybody that listens to it. You shoot him a message on social media, he'll get back to you, and he'll make a suggestion. And I'm sure it's hard at times to answer some of the questions without laying eyes on a piece of property. You know, they can send you a picture. They can ask for a suggestion. And I think a lot of times people get they get the wrong impression with folks when they're like, no, nah, I can't really tell you exactly what I would do because I don't know what you're working with. And they kind of take that as like, well, he doesn't have confidence. No, you have confidence in your product, but you have to know what you're dealing with if you want it to yeah. be successful. And yeah. I provided you with all that information and – I honestly, I've never, I have never planted a food plot seed and I'm the guy that was buying it at Walmart Dick's, uh, at a tractor supply store. That was one of these mixed bags that had success to see it grow in something like that. I've always seen the rye. Oh grass. yeah. I took a rake out there and got some of that throw and grow one time. Oh man, I grew, I've done that in the woods, <laughs> throw and grow, get it growing up. Yeah. You think, golly, yeah. look what that a patch like- of grass I got. Come back, deer <clears throat> hunt it. And it's like. Where did it all go? It's dead. It's yeah, dead. The, the, the crickets are singing in the woods when you're <laughs> out there. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, that's... I, I mean, I personally, so kind of the fun part about what I do and my, and on my, my farm that I hunt is I test all kinds of different things. So I, I have a lot of, a uh, lot of successes and a lot of failures. I'll put it that way. Um, but the testing part, I've had things like the throw and go or, uh, other blends that are high in, in that ryegrass and things like that planted. And, um, this is prior to me really starting to get into the videoing and different things like that, that I have recently kind of, uh, took in, uh, an enjoyment to also, but uh, I'm mean, going to watch deer walk directly through one of those plots to get to a different one. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, the proof is there 
Uh, and it doesn't take you much research um, on any social media. If you follow any pages out there about food plotting, you'll obviously see the same. Uh, you know, I'm not really going to tell you anything about the ryegrass that, that not everyone else won't tell you the same thing. Right. But, uh, but but a lot of people still forget about it and they still pick up that. There's a reason why there's a $5 bag of seed at Walmart, you know. So right. um, it's because you're you're getting $5 worth of seed. So. Let me, know, ask, just, let me ask you this, Jeff. I know we ain't really covered this, but do you recommend for anybody planting seed, whether it be in the south, the north, the midwest, anywhere, to get the soil sampled first? Yeah, I, I will always recommend. Um, you know, I'd always recommend that because it, there is definitely um, some things that you can do, obviously, like liming if your soil, um, you know, needs to be – you will get more benefit out of fertilizer and things like that by doing a soil sample and amending your soil um, to meet that. I'm not saying you can't still get things to grow because you can. Right. Um, it just might take you, you know, it just might take you a little bit more work or even a little bit more money as far as fertilizer goes or things like that to get the results that you're going to get if your soil was not, you know, amended basically with, with the proper thing. So it's always a great idea um, to, to get a soil sample especially on a brand new, um, just to see where you're at as far as that goes. Um, but like I said, some of that can be swayed one way or the other a little bit, um, with depending on, again, what your goals are for that plot or what you might want to put in it, because there's some things that you can plant that are a lot more tolerant to, um, I'm going to say, you know, soil conditions that might not be quite as, quite as good. I'm going to ask you this real quick for this, for the people listening and the, southeast most of these people that are going to be planting these plots are going to be more more on a hunting lease most of these hunting leases in georgia are basically consumed of pine trees is one of those products better for growing around pine trees that you've seen than others yeah um so pine pine trees make it a little rough because their pine needles are acidic to the soil so um they they do provide a little bit of uh that's why in the south there with a lot of pine trees or heavy pines especially if you're planting up close to them, um, they do make it somewhat difficult. One, they're shaded, which they, you know, provide a lot of shade. So of course, things that need sunlight don't grow as well, um, because you're going to be in shade for a portion of the day. And then two, um, the, you know, the, the pine needles are acidic to the soil, so they make it a little tough. So you're amending the soil in certain situations like that is probably a lot more, um, important than it is in, in like a, a, a field that might have been a pasture or, or an ag field or something like that where you're not dealing with that. But I will say um, a mix like the punch list that I mentioned before that I have, that's the winter rye and stuff like that, it will tolerate a bit of that, um, you know, that type of soil. And also the quick start clover um, that I have available has an outside clover in it, which is a lot more tolerant to shade for one and also to the a little bit more acidic soil so it will do a little better um in those kind of situations than some of the other stuff will right well that's an interesting question nick proposed there because i hadn't even thought about it especially deep down like in middle georgia yeah you know most most of our buddies you know have leases and most of their leases are just pine trees yeah Middle, yeah. middle to yep. South Georgia, even yeah. up here in North Georgia. I mean, yeah. you don't see a whole lot of. I mean, that's, that's, that's a good property question. I'm in up here. Yeah. 
a lot of pine trees. But yeah, the people utilize the clear cuts, you know, and different things like that, or the cutovers and stuff in those pine pine standings, and and uh, yeah, you you can still do well with some different varieties of seed. Jeff, um, say we knew some turkey hunters, and <laughs> do you have a product <laughs> that they could plant to get some turkeys in there? Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna be. I'm if you haven't probably already noticed I'm I'm a big fan of clover yeah um so so there are chufa is one that a lot of people do like to plant for turkey um which is fine I don't offer it yet I'm gonna say yet because it, but it's just not very widely used here in the midwest and that's kind of where I started so I haven't really keyed in on it so you but, don't have you don't have chufa yet I do not. Okay. I do not offer tufa as of right now. I'm not saying that I won't in the future. I'm just saying as of right now, I don't offer that as a seed blend. But I like the clover. Um, to be honest with you, a pure stand of clover. Um, one, um, if you cut open turkeys, a lot of times if they've been around clover, you're going to find it in them. Um, they'll eat it. And that studies have been done on that. Plenty of them that shows that the turkeys are eating the clover. And then the second part is is that. If you go into a clover um, plot in the spring, it's full of bugs. And, of course, we all know turkeys like to eat the bugs. That's what they're in there for. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, I have um, a ton of pictures from this spring of turkeys all over my clover plot. So I know it works. <laughs> I've seen it work, yeah. um, you know, or whatever. And, and that's, what I, that's what I like to go to. So I can't say that you can't do good with like a chufa pot or something like that because they will eat that too, but they do also eat the clover. So if you're going to do something on a property, as far as habitat purposes go, that is going to be geared towards maybe turkeys and also to benefit the property for whitetails and things like that. My go-to would then be a clover plot. If you're, you know, asking from my opinion in that aspect, sure. I guess. That's a good hey, um, just just because <laughs> the results I've seen the results I've seen from it. Um, I mean, like I said, I, I have plenty you know, plenty of proof um of turkeys in, in the clover plots in the spring. Um and they will actually go basically right right to it. They they also like to for you know, strut zones. I mean obviously they'll they'll strut back and forth in, in a in a nice green um clover plot all day long. I mean I I had you know, I run some cameras out on my plots about year round just to see what kind of activity I'm getting. <clears throat> and it was daily pictures um, in the spring of turkeys on those plots, on those clover plots. So, you know, I know full well that they, they're in there for that. Jeff, let me ask you this. This kind of came to my, my mind. You know, you've, you've been developing some seeds and you've worked hard. And anybody who can, who's talked to you can tell you've worked hard to do it. What kind of moment was for you, and and you may not even had the opportunity yet, but what kind of moment was it for you on one of your plots that you had developed a seed blend for when you harvested a deer for that first time that came to one of those plots? What was what was that moment like for you? Did it go into your mind that I grew this, I developed this, and I, I put a deer on it that I was able to harvest? Yeah, again, it goes back to the fact that I just really, you know, really enjoy that that preparation part that leads to i mean it does make that that reward that much bigger you know um because it's 
the hard work that you've done all spring, all summer, basically all year round. I mean, anybody that manages any kind of whitetail property knows that that work is basically 365. It doesn't end, um, you know, but that part of it is, is, um, so rewarding when, like you said, you can see the benefits that it has to the property. Maybe, maybe you're all those food plots that you're growing, maybe they're holding actually more deer on your property or you're attracting more deer in times of the year that you would have deer moving off to your neighbor's property. Um, things like that. Um, it just makes it that much more rewarding to, you know, to the hunter or to the outdoorsman, I guess, um, to, to see that kind of uh, effect on a property. And, and it will happen. I mean, if you're, if you're making the food pots the best that you can make them, you'll see the results. I mean, it, it does work. Um, unless your neighbors are doing it better, <laughs> but, uh, you know, but that's just one of those things. Um, that, that's what, that's what the enjoyment comes for. For me, like I said, I, I get as much of a, uh, enjoyment out of that preparation and that setup and, and, uh, I mean, trying to fool a big old buck. So, you know, it's just, that's, that's where you, you know, try to get them in close, especially for a bow hunter like myself. I, you know, I'm trying to bring them in close, get them in, in bow range. Um, you know, that's what makes it fun for me is to try to, um, uh, you know, almost like setting the trap, uh, sure you know, try to, you know, try to make it so you're, you're planning on trying to get that shot in close or get deer in close to you in them little kill plots. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to spin over here to Nick, Jeff, because you've given, you've given us a scope that uh, anyone who listens to it of our, of our listeners is going to, to run on and they can, uh, they can reach out to you, which we're going to, you know, put all the tags in the, in on the episode where we, uh, where we're at, but I want to spin over here to Nick. He's, uh, he's always got, I don't know if you've listened to any of our episodes all the way through or not, but you can, you can tell from the past that we've always got two questions that we ask at the end. Nick does, and, and I'm going to spin it over to him and let him run into that, and uh, and we'll, we'll kick this thing into overdrive, getting closer to the end here. So, Nick, what what you got for him? Jeff, um, I always ask these two questions at the end, and, and man, I, I kind of started these questions off as I would ask people, you know, what's some good advice you give somebody in the outdoors, but, you know, as the more I've more I keep asking this question it's kind of just about life in general or anything so um do you have any advice that you would give somebody in the everyday world or outdoor world or seed world or anything man it could be anything um that you would that you would pass along with someone yeah man I mean my biggest thing is just for people that are in you know enjoy that just get outdoors um you know that's my biggest thing is get get outdoors and enjoy nature enjoy your properties um, whatever you might have available and, uh, and get the kids out there with you too. I mean, that's a, a really big thing for me. I mean, I have, uh, you know, uh, a son and a, and daughter and, and I like to have them out in the woods, you know, with me, uh, when I can and, and just stuff like that. And that's what, again, kind of what makes that, that property management and things like that. So enjoyable is because you can involve, um, you know, other people, friends, family, um, you know, youth in, in the outdoors, uh, you know, and make everybody a part of it. So yeah, if I had to give advice, it's just uh, get out there and enjoy it. Yeah, we get that a lot of times, you know, and I heard this the other day on, I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. I don't know if you do. I know Alex does sometimes, but you know, I didn't know Ro- Joe Rogan never even hunted until Steve Rinella got him out and Clay Newcomb b- brought that up. Like he was, you know, he was a city boy, never been out. And now he's, 
I mean, he posted a video yesterday on his Instagram. He's out shooting his bow in his yard, yep. Yep. you know? Right. So it, yeah. it's, it's amazing what it does to people that you wouldn't think so if they just get them out, how how much they do enjoy the outdoors. And it's more about, it's more than just a kill. And I know we always say that, but it's not about the kill. You know, most of us get more of going out, planting those food plots, getting those places prepared than we do the actual hunt. But, um, yeah. last question from me real quick. Um, what are you most thankful for, Jeff? Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm most thankful for, for, um, you know, just good family and friends. Honestly, I, I have uh, a lot of things, you know, to be thankful for in my life, but, uh, a supportive family and a supportive friends in my life, a, a network of people that continues to grow is just an amazing thing. Um, you know, can really, um, really bless a person, I guess, in life just to be surrounded by good people and, and, uh, you know, enjoy each other's company and stuff. So, um, you know, I'm just very blessed in that um, yeah. manner of things. So, yeah. Hey, um, Alex kind of spun off of that or didn't, he kind of changed the subject a second ago, but I wanted to ask real quick, and I know he's going to roll his eyes when I ask this, but how's the turkey population in Iowa? It's it's great. <laughs> Is it? I, I've, yeah. I've actually heard it's kind of yeah. going down. Well, uh, I mean, I still think it's really good, and it, I guess I'm going to go into – um there's pocketed areas, right? I mean, you, you got, um, you got areas that are going to hold a lot of birds um, where it doesn't seem like there's a problem. And then I, I have heard this year too, that there are some people that might be, you know, thinking that the population is down, um, a little bit, but I, I believe that it's still pretty good in general. Uh, I mean, I guess on my particular property, I have seen as many turkeys as I ever have. So I don't know if that's that, awesome is just a, a you know a result of of good habitat and uh and, you know and food and stuff or if it's just a re, you know kind of a result of the population in general sounds so. like you're putting some good seed and uh good product out there jeff jeff yeah. i, I want to thank yeah. you man for uh reaching out to alex and you guys setting this up it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you and and i look forward to um getting some product from you for the fall time i planted some chufa the other day so i'll probably hold off until the fall time and get some stuff from you and i really do appreciate you coming on i'll spin it back to alex absolutely well jeff like nick said you know it's it's been a long time coming for us to do a, a show um together and and i appreciate you being patient with me and and when i finally was able to set it up and get you on i've been excited for the last couple of weeks more so because i'm getting phone calls now from people that are wondering what products that we're going to be using for food plotting one thing that we struggle with here in Georgia, as far as talking to people about planting a food plot, it's a bait state. So you can hunt over bait all year long anywhere in the state. So a lot of folks think, well, I could just throw out some corn and, you know, I can hunt over it. And I think that deer get conditioned to, to a nocturnal state when you're hunting them over bait. I, I really do. I've seen it time and time again. And I, I feel when you plant a food plot, it makes competition stronger in the late season and they want to get to it in daylight hours so they can get to those plots and they're checking those does. I think you're setting it up for a kill spot, and you were spot on in everything that I wanted you to talk about tonight. And for for the future, you know, growth of of buck fever seed, I can't wait to see where it goes for you. You're not going to find a, a more humble guy to deal with than you or a uh, more charismatic person about talking over food plots than you. I, I've talked to enough folks in the last year to, to attest to that, and you are, uh, you're a joy to talk to. And anybody that, that gets a chance to speak with you, I can promise um, if you're listening to this show, 
If you reach out to Jeff with Buck Fever Seed Company, you'll leave that phone conversation wanting to go plant every food plot you could possibly find. So we definitely appreciate that side of you. Man, I appreciate the kind words. I really do. I, you know, it's hard for me to explain this to everybody. Um, And a lot of people might say, oh, you know, just saying that. But but honestly, um, you know, I strive to have all my customers and all the people that I deal with in the industry to be successful in food plotting because that's how we continue the relationship and continue the company. Right. If your your food plot doesn't do any good or if I didn't take the time to explain to you the proper ways to do it, you're going to get frustrated with it and you're not going to continue with it or you're going to say, well, maybe it was the seeds fault and go somewhere else. So success, your success is my success. Right. And I, and I feel that way genuinely about, um, you know, all my customers as well. So, you know, I want everybody to reach out, um, that has questions and I'll, I'll try to field them as, as best I can. So where can it, can it folks find your products at? Yeah. So, um, I have a buck fever seed company on Facebook. Um, so you can go on, on the actual Facebook page and it is also set up with a shop section. So you can go in there and purchase seed through that way also, or contact me that way. If you have questions, um, you can message me right there on Facebook or, um, you can go to, um, it'd be www.buckfeverseedcompany.com on the website. Same thing. Um, they're available or you can contact me uh, via email through through the website yep and you can also see some of the the footage that's been put out uh, of seed going in the ground and the growth from it uh, with matt jennings at the game Uh, he just launched an awesome video of of the buck fever products Um, you can also check out some of it over on our youtube channel as well and um, the relationship's only going to continue to grow from here like i said uh, Nick and I have said all along, Jeff, when we're doing this show, we're not going to get behind products just because somebody's willing to throw something at us. We, we're willing to spend our money and try stuff. And when people call us and say, hey, you know, would you talk about my product on your show? You know, it, it's not something that we're, we're behind. It's not something that we use. So we don't do it. But as far as I'm concerned, and I know when Nick gets a chance to plant that clover plot to get those turkeys to come in on it, he'll be in the same right. boat as me that Buck Fever <laughs> Seed Company will be a will be somebody that we're glad to partner up with for the future, and we're, we're excited for that opportunity. Yeah, I look forward to it. Let's definitely uh, set up a time to talk again. Maybe we ought to do it when we get a little closer to our fall planting time. That's right. That's right. Well, you're going to have to put up with me bugging you all the time. I'm going to be, I'm going to be doing, uh, uh, I'm going to try to do a weekly or semi-weekly update on where my plot's at and how it's growing for everyone that's here locally. At least do a short video that we drop on Instagram or on Facebook so people can keep up with my progress, and hopefully it inspires them to do something with their with that's their great. own plot. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I look forward to it, and, and you obviously feel free to reach out anytime. So, Well, Jeff, Buck Fever Seed Company, we wish you all the best, and uh, we're going to be talking real soon, my friend. I can't can't wait to see where it goes for you. I appreciate it, guys. Have a great evening. All right. I'll talk to you soon, Jeff. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. That was Jeff with uh, Buck Fever Seed Company, and you could hear the guy's passion in his voice when he talks about it. He's knowledgeable in what he talks about. And he, like I said, 
he brought to the table in the very beginning for me somebody that he he wants to genuinely help people with it, and he caters to his bags come in half acre bags. Okay, so you can go to Walmart and you can buy what'll say a plant a quarter acre or twenty two thousand two hundred square feet, whatever it may be. And you're going to get a product that's going to throw your grass up in eight to ten days. It's going to be dead in two months or yeah, in a month. That's a fact. And that's with this product, you're going to get a bag of seed that plants a half acre for between thirty and forty dollars, whatever the cost of the bag you choose. And it's going to plant that half acre, and you're going to see product that's coming out of the ground that's going to be beneficial. That's going to last in ten to fourteen days. With the nature's roof that I planted, I saw growth in 12 days. What seed have you planted in the ground that's going to germinate in 12 days? Now, I know the buckwheat is not necessarily something deer are going to eat, but it's something that's going to be beneficial for that clover as it grows. And just like he explained it, that science behind it, I don't understand, but we're learning more as we go with that. That's right. And that's the key to Well, it. you know, and another thing is, like he talked about, prep your, prep your plots. Don't just... Throw the seed out there. And don't blame it on Buck Fever Seed Company if you just go out there and throw it on the ground and it don't come up. Yeah, if you go out here and throw it on the back yeah, porch. Do your, do your work to it. You know, put put the time in and do do a good job. You're going to spend the money on it do it right. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of our, our downfall here in the South. That are, you know, in mine well, I mean, as well. I, I mean, most, most people don't have that equipment to do it. Well, even if you don't have a piece of equipment, he said if you can go out and spray it mm-hmm. and you let that vegetation die down, even if it's in a pasture, if you – square off a you know a quarter or a half acre spot kill that vegetation just go out there and rake it back or weed eat it or do whatever you can do and get their seed in the ground talk to jeff he'll put something together for you i promise the guy is is, is as friendly and humble as somebody you could ask for to talk to on the phone sure. you could hear him on the on here so what else you got that's it man hey what we're knocking the door almost Almost. Almost at 5-0. We got a big week lined up, man. I can't wait to get this one underway. And I hope everyone will go check out all of Jeff's stuff. As I said, and I've said it time and time again, Matt Jennings over at the game, he set this one up for me back months ago. Been talking to Jeff as it as it's went. Got the seed, went out, planted it. I'm behind it. Nick's behind it. We're, we're ready to go. It's time, time to rock and roll on food plotting. If you ain't already got them in the ground, you better hurry up and do it because you're running out of time on your summer plots. It's fixing to get hot here in Georgia. So. <laughs> fixing fix <it> too. <laughs> it's already hot. Yeah, it's already there. Oh, me. So for everybody here at Talk About It Outdoors, we want to thank you for tuning in tonight. We want to thank you for listening, continuing to support us. We've got some amazing news that's going to be dropping in the next few weeks. We've got some amazing new partners that we're going to be working with we've got new content we've got new products we've got all kinds of new exciting stuff that's gonna drop Waddy wasn't here tonight he missed out on a good one bow shoot um oh yeah so we yeah. you're gonna have to watch the youtube video because <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be a great one there's gonna be an amazing bow shoots content that's gonna be coming out very soon that we're putting together the content on so make sure you tune into that one i'm sure we'll talk about it on the social media so for everybody here at talk about it outdoors we want to thank you for being here and remember smile as you go and don't forget mount the memories